0: This morning we're going to have a message called Leaning In, and as you see by the sermon slide there, it's a pretty intense slide, isn't it? And I'm going to start out by reading you a story that I came across a few months ago about a story that Lieutenant General uh, John Kelly, who's a general in the Marines, gave to a Gold Star Gathering. Everybody familiar with what a Gold Star Gathering is? Gold Star's um, parents are parents who have lost sons or daughters in the military through the war on terror. And the speech from General Kelly just tugged at my heart, and I'm going to explain it, and it's going to explain this picture that we have up there today. This is from his speech given in 2010. And by the way, this speech that he was given was four days after his own son was killed in combat but he still kept his appointment with these Gold Star families. General Kelly says that two years ago, when I was commander of all U.S. and Iraqi forces, on April 22nd of 2008, two Marine infantry battalions were switching out in Ramadi. One was going home, one was coming in and starting their seven-month combat tour in the city of Ramadi, which is the most dangerous city on earth at the time. And it was actually, it was totally covered, and almost everybody in this city was a member of Al-Qaeda. There are two Marines, pictured up there in the picture. 22-year-old Corporal Jonathan Hale and 20-year-old Lance Corporal Jordan Herder. One was from each battalion, one from the one going home and one from the one coming in. They were assuming a watch together at the entrance of an outpost that contained a makeshift barracks housing 50 Marines and over 100 Iraqi police forces that they were training. Corporal Yale was a dirt poor mixed race kid from Virginia with a wife and a daughter and also had a mother and a sister who lived with him and he supported it as well. He did this on a yearly salary of less than $23,000 that he got in the Marine Corps. Lance Corporal Heritor, on the other hand, was a middle-class white kid from Long Island. When they got to the gate, their sergeant gave them their mission orders, and I'm sure it went something like this. Okay, you two clowns, you stand this post and you let no unauthorized vehicles pass this gate. Do you understand? And I would imagine as most Marines or most soldiers receiving orders like that from a sergeant would kind of roll their eyes and say, yes, sir, yes, sergeant, and kind of, and kind of think, okay, yep, yeah, we know our jobs. A few minutes after, resu- after assuming this post, a large blue truck turned down the alleyway that was the entrance to their, their uh, makeshift base there. This alleyway was about 60 or 70 yards in length. The thing with this truck though is it started to speed up as it wound its way through the serpentine concrete jersey walls. Jersey walls are like those K-rails you see on the interstate, big concrete dividers to separate lanes of traffic. They put those in so the, the vehicles have to swerve in and out so they can't pick up speed and ram you. But this one was trying to pick up speed as it came. The truck stopped just short of where these two were posted and detonated, killing them catastrophically. 24 brick masonry houses were damaged or destroyed. A mosque 100 yards away collapsed. The The explosion was so powerful that the truck's engine came to rest 200 yards away, knocking most of a house down before it stopped. When the explosive experts examined the scene, they reckoned that the blast was made from over 2,000 pounds of explosives. The thing is, though, is that only two people died, these two Marines. These two Marines that didn't have it in their DNA to run from danger. And because they didn't run from the danger, they saved 150 Iraqi and American General Kelly goes on to say, I traveled to Ramadi the next day and I spoke spoke individually to half a dozen Iraqi police who told me the same story. The blue truck turned down into the alley and immediately sped up and made its way through the serpentine. They all said we knew immediately what was going on as soon as the two Marines began firing. The Iraqi police related... That some of them also fired, but then to a man, as they saw the truck getting closer, they ran to safety. All the Iraqis survived. A few were injured, some seriously. The person who was in charge of them elaborated and said with tears welling up, he said, we ran like any normal man would to save his life. Choking past the emotion, the Iraqi continued and said, General Kelly, in the name of God, no sane man would have stood there and done what they did. No sane man would have done that, but he, they saved us all. One of our security cameras, initially a damaged in the blast was recovered, and they found that it recorded some of the suicide attack. It happened exactly as the Iraqis had described it. It took exactly six seconds from when the truck turned the corner until it detonated. General Kelly watched that video and he said you can watch the last six seconds of their young lives. Putting myself in their heads as a former infantryman and myself, I suppose it took about a second for the two Marines to separately come to the same conclusion about what was going on once the truck came into their view at the far end of that alley. They had exactly no time to talk it over, no time to even look at each other, no time to call a sergeant and ask what they should do. Only enough time to take half an instant and think about what their orders said. Let no unauthorized personnel or vehicles pass. The two Marines now have about five seconds to live. It took maybe another second or two for them to present their weapons, take aim, and open fire. They knew what was going on. They knew that was a suicide truck. By the time this truck was halfway down the barriers and gaining speed the whole time. Here the recording shows a number of the Iraqi police, some of them who had fired their AKs and were now scattering like normal, rational men they were, some running right past the Marines who were standing there firm and firing. They had about three seconds left to live. For about two seconds more, the recording shows the Marines' weapons firing nonstop, the truck's windshield exploding into a shard of glass as their rounds take it apart and tore into the body of the suicide bomber who was trying to get past them and kill their brothers. The recording shows a truck careening to a stop immediately in front of the two Marines. In all this instantaneous violence, Yale and Harder never hesitated. By all the reports and by the recording, they never moved. They never stepped back. They never even shifted their weight. With their feet spread and shoulder-width apart, they leaned into the danger, making sure their weapons were steady as they tried to, to stop this suicide bomber, firing as fast as they could to work their weapons. They only had one second to live. Then the truck explodes, the camera goes blank, and the two men go to their God. Six seconds, wasn't enough time to think about their family, their country, their flag, or about even their lives or the fact that they knew they were about to die. But more than enough time for two men to do their duty, even into eternity. This is the kind of thing that gets me choked up. These are the kind of people that were on watch all over the world. tonight for us. I read you this this morning not to celebrate war, Not even to really memorialize these two young men, even though they deserve it. But I want to point out an attitude. It's an attitude that we as Christians will need to have to let God develop in us in these last days. Because I don't know if you've noticed, but we're at war. It's a spiritual war for sure. None of us will probably ever have to do what these men did. But the reality is, we are at war. And it's starting to spill, the spiritual war that we are in is spilling over into the natural realm, and we're beginning to feel its effects in all areas of our lives. The forces of darkness are speeding up their attack they're turning the corner, they're driving a large truck at the Church of Jesus Christ right now. And this truck is packed with all kinds of evil intentions for God's people. So I have a question for all of us this morning. As this truck bears down on you, will you run as the Iraqis did to save your skin? Or will you stand your ground and lean into the fight. In Ezekiel 22, God spends 29 verses, most of the chapter, describing the gross sin of Judah. And when you read the, the rest of that chapter, it is extremely perverse sexual sin, open incest within families. Spirit, false spirituality, including witchcraft and divination, were common and the rich horribly oppressing the poor, openly stealing land and killing them if they objected. Just a, Ezekiel 22 paints a very bleak picture of, of the sin in the nation of that time. But God ends the chapter with a call to his prophet that we'll read this morning. And this is God speaking to the prophet in Ezekiel 22, verse 30. He said, I look for someone among them Who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land, so I would not have to destroy it, but I found no one. So I will pour out my wrath on them and consume them with my fiery anger, bringing down to them on their own heads what they have done, declares the sovereign Lord. He's looking for someone to build up a wall and stand in a gap to lean in to the fight. Let's pray. Father God, I ask, Lord, that you just take this message and you help it to place within us the correct mindset and attitude to not only survive the last days, but to thrive. To not just hunker down and hope it doesn't hit us, but to stand up and be counted as one of your soldiers. Because it's getting real, Lord. And I ask, Father, that you help prepare us for that. So that when we stand before you, we will not be ashamed. Lord God, I ask this in your name. Amen. If you're sitting here today and you're saved, you've come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you have a lot of benefits. There are a lot of benefits that come with that. A transaction occurred when that happened. Your, the eternal recording of your sin was erased by the power of Jesus' shed blood. That's good news. That's the gospel. That is the what we're supposed to be living for and telling people about. But what isn't spoken about very much in today's Christianity, and I, I speak about especially the church in America today, is the fact that when we came into the gospel, when we got saved, when we gave our hearts to Jesus, we joined a kingdom. Kingdoms are ruled, ruled by kings. They are not democracies. We don't get a say. The king has the final rule. And Jesus has some expectations of us as citizens of the kingdom that he established. And these expectations have a very simple word to describe them. And that word is duty. Duty is what kept those Marines stationed where they were at. Duty is what kept them between them or kept them stationed that saved the lives of 150 people. Webster's defines duties as it's an obligatory task. It is something you have to do. It is a conduct, a service, a function that arises from one person's position or the fulfilling of a moral or legal obligation to be fulfilled to a society or to someone else in a position of authority. And as Christians, we have a duty to our Lord. The Bible says that we are bought with a price. And therefore, we should worship God with our bodies. We owe him a debt of honor. We owe him the gratitude that we would never be able to pay back. But the debt remains to remind us how worthy that Jesus is in every single part of our life. We also owe a duty to the world we live in. Sometimes within the Pentecostal church, we can get focus so much on our own personal holiness and how evil the world is that we have a tendency in the back of our mind to basically say, well, it's all going to be destroyed. It's all going to hell. So why do I need to be concerned about it? We need to be concerned because we have orders. Jesus gave us orders just like those marines. And just like they leaned into and toward the danger, you and I have orders from our commanding officer, Jesus, to execute in these last days. Amen. And our orders, our basic orders, you have these things in the, in the military called your general orders that every soldier, whether he's a private or a general of the entire military, they have to follow. They're called general orders. Our general order is called the Great Commission. And the great commission if you don't know what that is comes from Matthew 28:18 that says then Jesus came to them the disciples saying all heaven or all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you that's your general order That is your life purpose. Everybody wonders, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing in your life. There it is if you're a Christian. If we're going to be salt and light in our community and our world, then we have to obey the orders of our commanding officer. We need to lean in and do what he has told us to do, no matter the cost to us personally. We need to be willing to be the person who builds up those walls that the enemy had torn down, like in the time of Ezekiel, and stand in the gap. If there's a gap in the wall that the enemy can get through, we are to stand in that gap so that the the enemy cannot get to our loved ones, our neighbors, our cities, or our nation. We need to be the person who stands in that gap because persecution is coming. In fact, it's already here in many cases. The easy version of Christianity that we have enjoyed for decades is rapidly coming to a close. If you don't think so, our greatest ally, Great Britain, this is, these are news stories from this last week. Great Britain, people are being sent to prison for using wrong gender pronouns. Prison. In Canada, pastors cannot speak against anything having to do with transgenderism or homosexuality or prison and fines. In many so-called free countries, Australia, for example, there are some cases that saying that Jesus is the only way to heaven is considered hate speech. And guess what the penalty is? Prison. Fines. Those same forces that did it there are coming here. And are very much here right now. The days for being in the closet for Christ are over. We need to strap up with the armor of God. We need to learn how to use this word. We need to learn how to get a little bit of fight in us. And understand that we are soldiers in God's army. And as God's soldiers we have three basic duties according to the Bible. And if you want to be a person that God can use to rebuild some of those walls that the enemy has torn down, or a person that stands in the gap for his family, his friends, his neighbors, and his world, then there are three basic duties to understand that have to be burned into our spirit this morning. And the first duty that we as Christians have is simply to stand. Ephesians 6.10 says, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. One of the things I think that keeps most Christians from thinking that that they can make a stand for God is that they think you need some special calling or anointing or, or God's shouting down on you to do it. And it's probably, if some of us came out of some of the mainstream churches, we think that, well, that's something that the pastor does. He, he's the pastor and, and, and I'm just a, a, a congregant and I don't have to do that, that. But there are two problems with that thinking. Number one is that we're all called to be clergy. Every single one of you is called to be clergy. The Bible says you're a royal priesthood, right? Just for a quick exercise, I want you to think about your name and I want you to say pastor in front of it. Because whatever... Wherever you are called to, you may be the pastor to that place. If it's a workplace, a school, you may be the only saved person there. The only preacher that God has called and put into that place. Yes, Julie, Pastor Julie. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, that's literally the biblical truth of this. Now, I'm not saying that the Bible doesn't speak about particular positions within the church that require a particular calling. And when you read about these positions, Ephesians 4.11, you, they come with a caveat that says that these positions are to train God's people for works of service. Not to do the work, to train other people to do the work. To be an example and to show you how to do it. Therefore, in reality, the people that your world sees the most isn't me, the guy standing up here, but the people sitting down here. You are to make the stand from God. I may be a little chubby, but you're not going to be able to hide behind me when the when the persecution comes. You're going to have to learn to stand. Let me illustrate why this is important. Do you remember from the gospel accounts that Jesus said, when the shepherd gets struck, the sheep will scatter? What happened when Jesus was arrested? They scattered, right? Even Rocky, I'll go to die for you an hour before it happened. Scattered, ran. These believers were completely dependent upon the physical presence of their leader. And when their leader was struck down, they all scattered and went back to their old lives of fishing. But we see now the genius of God. You see, God knows our weakness. God knows that, that it's, it's, it's within the human DNA for some reason that we always want to look toward the other, another human and another leader instead of just relying on him. Even in the 21st century right now, we are still doing what they did in King David's time and they want a king or a man to follow. But God in the New Testament flips all that on its head and he's saying that you are now the leader. You have the pos- potential of carrying the same power, anointing, and kingdom privilege as a man or woman you call the pastor. You have that power within you. As long as you... Um, Humble yourself and ask God to say, God, let me, send me. As Peter's Peter 2, verse 9 says, you are a chosen people. Not just the elders, not just the pastors, not just the bishop. You are a chosen people. A royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's special possession that you, you may declare the praises of him who have called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. This is important. Let me illustrate this a little bit. As part of my training to become a, a non-commissioned officer in the army, we had to go through and learn some basic leadership tactics of how to set up ambushes and things like that. And one of the things you do when you set up an ambush is you... You create a depth to where you can get the, as much of the, the people you're trying to ambush in until you can identify the leader. And guess who gets shot first? The leader. Because as soon as you shoot the leader, everybody else looks around for, for orders. There's nobody giving orders, and the rest of them are easy pickings. Guess what? The kingdom of darkness operates the same way. And when we trust so much on a human leader that if that human leader should fall or die or or whatever, that it just ruins our world, that's why God has sent all this power and all this authority to the entire church, not just to the person standing up here. In other words, it's your duty. It's your duty to stand firm in your most holy faith and be counted as one of his disciples, regardless of what position you may hold in the local church. With the duty to stand comes the calling to occupy. That's a second order that we have today. In Luke 19:13, this is within the, the parable of the ten servants. Jesus is telling this story, and he, and he said that he, the master of the house, called his 10 servants and delivered to them 10 pounds and said, unto them, "Occupy until I come." The word "occupy," in this sense means as a military term to hold ground that was won at a cost. In other words, somebody had to fight for that land, and now your job is to make sure it doesn't get taken back. Jesus paid the ultimate cost for your salvation. He fought against every demon of hell and overcame them by his blood. Your job and calling now is to occupy and to keep that which he has won for you. You keep it in trust so that when he comes back, you get to give it back to him with interest as an act of worship and say, Lord, you may have only given me this much, but now I give you the much more. Many of you have been following Jesus more than my 49 years of life. You've stood firm for him longer than I've even been alive. And you've occupied a sphere of influence that Jesus has given you. For some, that means you've raised godly families who have gone on to raise their own children of faith. For some of you, it means you might be the only light of darkness where you live or work or go to school. For others, it may be that you're a lighthouse for others. Maybe your neighbors who as they navigate the storm of life. Somebody that has an open door that you can come over and, and talk to Somebody. In other words, you're not a person who took the light that Jesus gave you and hid it under a bushel. You let it shine before men. Standing firm is our duty and occupying is our calling. It means that you are called to plant a flag of God's kingdom firmly into the ground that Jesus has given you. That you are to be an embassy for God's kingdom. That's how you occupy if our duty is to stand and our calling is to occupy, then our mission is to save as many as we can. Our God is a God of purpose. He doesn't do things by accident. That means you are not an accident. That means despite how we're, despite everything in your life, no matter how much you've messed it up, he has planned around that, and he's, you are right where he wants you to be, and he can use you right where you are. Our God is big enough to take into consideration all the mess-ups within our lives and still use us to fulfill the basic mission of any Christian, to save as many as we can. Now, let me be honest about this mission. Anyone here ever been a lifeguard? You know, 90%, 95% of a lifeguard's career is spent sitting in a chair. They watch their water. Maybe it's standing in a tower. They keep their eye out, and once in a very great while, will have to dive in the water to save somebody. But for the most part, their lives are boring most days, especially if they do their job right. It's kind of that same way with you and me. Most of us won't save somebody every single day. Generally speaking, most of us will go through most of our days and never even speak the name of Jesus to another person. In fact, much of our lives is simply going to be spent trying to be good reflections of Jesus to our world. But, like that lifeguard, we need to keep our eyes open. We need to watch and see when a person starts floundering. We need to be ready to jump up out of our chairs and run and breathe the life giving gospel into them before they go down for the third time. We need to be ready to stand and lean in to the attack of the enemy when it comes for them or for us. Let's all rise. I started this message today telling you about two brave Marines that stood their ground knowing that they were about to die. They didn't hesitate and they didn't back down. They did it for the love of their brothers, the love of their country. How much more should we as Christians be willing to stand to occupy, and to save as many as we see drowning and lean into the fight when it matters the most. The Marines' motto is Semper Fi. It's Latin for Semper Fidelis. means always faithful. Lord God, I ask that you just create within us this morning that kind of attitude, a Semperfi attitude, Lord, that we would always be faithful to the mission you have given us. Amen. That you would enable us to be the lifeguard of our brother and sister. That we would accept the calling that you have given us in this world. That fear, doubt, and unbelief excuses would fly out the window that you would, you would tear us out from our hiding places and make, help us to make bold stands for you where we're at. Give us wisdom and spiritual clarity to, to be able to see past a person's sin and see what is actually there, a hurting person who desperately needs you. Lord God, I know this is a sobering message for us this morning but it's a message that needs to go out and be heard. We are in the last days. Create within us what we will need to survive and thrive and to someday hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with the few, now you get the many. Enter into the joy of your master. Lord God, I just bless your people now. I thank you for their faithfulness and I ask that your blessing be upon them this week. Give them an opportunity, Lord, to see somebody floundering. Give them an opportunity, Lord, to see a person that might be going down for the third time. And then give them the courage and spiritual anointing to step in and breathe the life-giving gospel to that person. Lord God, I thank you. I thank you for, this, for our church family, Lord. They are incredible people, just like you are an incredible God. I ask your blessing to be upon them in Jesus' name. Amen.